and we are in week three of our series, Equipped, and that is looking at the New Testament book of Galatians. If you have the orange Bible near you, go to page 1092. That's almost all the way back. See, see, it's really like way far to the back. 1092, and you can read along, and uh, that way as we jump around and look at different verses, you'll have it in front of you, uh, whether it's on the screen or not. So, okay. So uh, let me know how many of you guys have got the scripture, if you're turning to it. How many? Let me know when you've got it. Have you got it? Great. Awesome. Okay. Well, good. I have a question as we start out here. Uh, first, I'm going to kind of set this situation up for you. But um, I know that somebody here got a new cell phone yesterday. And, um, you know, so what if you went and got your new cell phone plan and everything was great? You know, it all looked like it's going great. And you found on that new plan that you got plenty of minutes and data for like everything you do each day. It had enough for phone calls and texts were unlimited, data was unlimited, you, you could do whatever you needed. But then somebody else who has that same plan, you run into them like maybe today or, or maybe later, and they said, you know what though, you really can't use that iPhone right away. You really can't use that Samsung right away. You, you first have to use this old phone first. Okay? All right, well, okay, what would you think if someone told you that? They're wrong. What else would you think? You wouldn't listen to them. What else? I don't like it. I don't like it. You'd think, why do I have to go back and use that old thing? That clearly wouldn't work that well right now, right? Okay. Well, in Galatians 3, Paul describes what God's plan is for us spiritually. And uh, we're going to read that today and talk about just, you'll, you'll see a kind of connection here because there were Judaizers uh, coming into this church and they were telling them, you have to go back and do the old stuff or else you're not really saved. So they didn't understand what God's plan really was, but we're going to try and figure that out by what Paul says today as we read chapter 3. So let's start in verse 1. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then, that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. 
On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Okay, let's just stop there for a moment and talk about that. So uh, one of the first things you notice is these words here that Paul uses at the beginning of this chapter are pretty strong. He's going, you foolish people. And he's, he's saying, who bewitched you? In other words, who put a spell on you? He's like, I can't believe that you are thinking what you're thinking right now. And uh, the Hebrew word for foolish, which can mean not thinking through something, and bewitched, which means you're under a spell so you can't reason properly, are Paul's way of saying that he uh, is, he's saying you're not really seeing the folly of what you're believing from these people. And you're going along with people who've been telling you stuff that's not right. And he contrasts what the Judaizers have been telling these people with the truth that Paul had taught them earlier, that Jesus Christ was crucified for their sins. They didn't have to earn this thing. They had to trust in Jesus Christ, that they received the Holy Spirit after their salvation by believing what they heard and not, again, by not by the works of the law, not that they earned it. And he's saying, are you foolish enough after starting this wonderful journey of salvation, of faith in Jesus Christ, living by the Spirit, equipped and guided by the Holy Spirit, and now you're turning to works of the flesh? In other words, now you're turning to trying to earn it? And in verse 4, he asked, did they receive their first faith in vain? He's saying, did you do this without purpose? Did you do this for no apparent reason? Did it mean nothing? And did God give them his Holy Spirit and work miracles? So he's saying, he's putting out all the stuff that happened while he was there. And he's saying, did God do that through your faith in Jesus Christ? Or did he do it by the fact that you were living by the law? You were living up to what the law said to do. Did you earn it? Or did God give it to you from your faith? Abraham, then he cites this example as of Abraham, how he believed in God and that his faith saved him. So even back there with Abraham, before the law was given, Abraham, how he became a child of God was by his faith in God. And also it says it was then his righteousness was from that, not from his circumcision, even though that was part of the deal for him with his relationship with God. But it was by his faith in God. So it wasn't something he did that made him able to have his faith in the Lord, except to receive it. All the scriptures, the word of God prophesied, and this part that was given to Abraham, it prophesied that the Gentiles would also be people of faith and receive what Jesus Christ had when this would happen. It was foretold to Abraham. It said to him, all nations will be blessed through you. So it's saying... The reason people will come to, to know the Messiah is going to be through the family line of Abraham. And then in verse 9, it says, those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So that tells us that if we have faith in God through Jesus Christ, which is not the same thing as following the law, 
If we relied on the works of the law, for example, we would be under a curse, according to Paul here. So I have a question for you about this. Why, if you rely on the works of the law, are you under a curse? Well, first of all, you're going backwards. You're going backwards? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you're going back to the law, you're trying to earn something that's been given freely. Why does that put you under a curse? Pardon me? You're going to fail. You're going to fail. Yeah. Trust puts you in a place of rest. And trust puts you in a place of rest. Now, here's the thing about this relying on the works of the law, why it puts us under a curse. Uh, Paul quotes something here from Deuteronomy 27:26 in the Old Testament. That's part of the law. And he says, and back in that verse, Deuteronomy 27, 26, curses everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Do you think you and I could totally do everything in the law? No. 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 I'm glad you're honest. None of us could. That's the whole problem. And what that means, the curse of relying on the law is the curse of sin. Because that ends in judgment. In other words, we can never be holy enough for God. We can't do that whole checklist. We can try all we want, but we cannot do it. If we rely on our own righteousness, our own goodness, and we try to live a good enough life in that goodness, we're going to fail. We're not going to be able to do it. Our righteousness, therefore, has to be the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the perfect person, the perfect son of God. No one is justified by the law, Paul says, before God. In other words, we cannot be justified by the law. In other words, we can't live it all well enough, do everything, never sin, and then be justified by that. That is totally impossible. And God kind of knew that because even back with Abraham, those people in the Old Testament didn't rely on the law they kept the law, but what they had faith in was God and a future Messiah. Well, yeah, because you're kind of putting the law above God. You know what I mean? Right, exactly. That's getting in the way between you and your faith. Yeah, you're putting yourself, the, uh, the law above God, if you're relying on that. That is so true. So if we can't earn our salvation, um, it, which by the law, because that's, external that's performance driven it's our works it's like having a checklist that you say every day i've got to do this 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 this, and got to check all those things make sure you did everything in your own power if you're following that and uh if we can't do that then indeed we are cursed uh we're going to face judgment ephesians 2 11 to 13 says therefore remember that formerly you who are gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, okay, that's the group that was in this church in Galatia, okay, which is done in the body by human hands. He's saying, you know, it's not even something God does to you. It's something that God has people do, but it's not a thing that's going to, you know, it's not like God did it. He says, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You see, it's not by the law that we're brought close, but it's by faith in Jesus Christ, by the blood of Jesus on the cross. That's what we're celebrating when we celebrate communion. So Jesus took, it tells us in verse 13, he took the curse 
of living by the law and the failure that we have um, when we try to live up to it. He took that curse on himself on the cross for us. And the reason Jesus could do that was because he is the son of God. He lived a perfect life. He was the perfect sacrifice for us. And we trust in his righteousness and not our own. So none of us can live a righteous enough life. Uh, even the most wonderful person, think about it. Even somebody who you think of, they're, like you would say maybe they're a saint. They, they're so good. Even that person cannot live up to the works of the law enough that the law would justify them. To be accepted by God in their works. Praise God, we don't depend on that. We depend on Jesus Christ. We come to God through what he did for us, and we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and we rely on his righteousness, not our own. It's by faith that we come to Jesus, and it's by faith in God and his provision of a future Messiah is what the Old Testament did, and all the uh, sacrifices in the Old Testament pointed to, including how the temp, uh, temple and tabernacle were built, all that pointed to a future Messiah. So even then, they weren't trusting in the law. They were observing the law, but their trust was still in Jesus Christ and a future Messiah. After Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, that's who we look to. So both the Old Testament and after Jesus' death and resurrection, they looked to Jesus and his death on the cross. So let's read on then and see what else Paul has for them, reading verses 15 through 26. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law, introduced 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. He's talking about that covenant, Abrahamic covenant. For if the inheritance, which is what he's talking about with Abraham, if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred to had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Okay, that's kind of a, a lot right there. It's kind of like a theology lesson, isn't it? All right, so as we're looking at that, Paul says if you have a human covenant, you know, like a kind of like a contract, okay, it's, and he said it's duly established, which means it's ratified, it's confirmed, both parties have signed on it, and all the parties involved in this covenant, this contract, are bound by it. 
In the same way, he's saying God provided a covenant with us, that, but it cannot be set aside. Uh, there's a promise from God that doesn't depend on the law. And the promise is spoken to Abraham of blessing, of an inheritance, eternal life, and a promised land are for us too. Now, it's not the same way as when they had the promised land was an actual piece of land where Israel is today. Our promised land is our time in eternity with the Lord. So he says, this law was given to Moses 430 years later, but it didn't change anything about the covenant that God had already made with Abraham. It didn't cancel it. It, it uh, kept it in place. And he's saying God's grace gave it to us. God's covenant and promise point to the Messiah, to Jesus Christ. So then the question is, why even have the law? I mean, it's like if, if we're not going to be like depending on that for righteousness, why do we even have it? It gives us boundaries, right? Yeah, uh, because it shows us too, according to what Paul said, it shows us the need we have for a Savior because we can't live up to all that big checklist, you know? We need somebody else who did. Who is the Son of God? Who is the perfect one? And so it showed us the need for what Paul is calling the seed or the Messiah. And he says the law... You know, when it was given, it was ordained through angels and given to a mediator. And it's talking about Moses, how, remember, Moses would interpret the law and give the law to the people. And then after his death, you know, it went on down through all the high priests and all of them were the, the mediator. They were the ones who would go into the temple and they would offer sacrifices for the people. They were mediators between God and mankind. But... This, the problem is, he's saying, this is a human person. These are human people. And God, though God is not, God is not. Jesus is, is God. And so therefore, what we have are imperfect people until the time that Christ came. And then now Jesus is our mediator. We don't have to go through somebody else to get to God. We go through Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, who is God, to get salvation we put our faith in him. And now the people reading this letter might be thinking that Paul is telling them the law is opposed to the promises of God, that it's against it. Some, somehow it works against what God was doing. And he's saying, never, no, don't throw out the law. No, absolutely not. God's purpose was never with the law to impart eternal life, to impart righteousness. Otherwise, he's saying it would have come through the law. And out of the law, he says there, it would have emerged righteousness. And we know that it didn't. He's saying that was never God's purpose in giving the law. So what was the purpose? He says in verse 22, Scripture locked up everything under the control of sin until the faith to come was revealed. God's word, the Scripture, showed how everything's under the control of sin. It didn't create the sin it revealed the sin and showed how sin had locked us up. And scripture sh said that that's how that is until Jesus comes. The righteousness that we want by our faith in, in God comes through Jesus Christ for us. So then how, uh, you know, it showed how everything's under this control of sin until the faith in Jesus Christ. So another question here, how do we see that in our own lives? Do you see that in your own life?
Yeah. Relying on herself instead of God. Yeah, after we come to Christ, we trust he will guide us. Exactly. Until we come to Jesus and accept him as our Savior and follow him, we're kind of under the control of sin. Would you agree? Yeah. yeah, and once we come to him, we don't have to be that being locked up under the control of sin. Jesus removes that. He sets us free of that. Before we could have faith in Jesus Christ, we were kind of like held in custody under the law, locked up under the law until Jesus came. And the actual way to describe kind of what the law is like, he says in verse 24, the law, he says, was our guardian. But really, when you go back to the original Greek, that really, that word is better translated as tutor. But probably like a tutor of a subject, you know, like when you're in school and you need help and you have a tutor explain it to you. Uh, that word tutor or guide or guardian, uh, the tutors back in that time of the Greeks and the Romans had trustworthy slaves. They would have a slave that they really trusted with their kids, and they would have this uh, slave be the tutor. So that that would be an educated uh, person who was a slave of the family, a servant of the family, and they were given the duty of supervising the life and the morals of their minor-aged children. And those children were not allowed so much as to step out of the house without these tutors. They would get, go with them everywhere until the children became adults. And that name, a tutor, carries with it the idea of being a stern enforcer of morals. So here's how the comparison is. The Mosaic Law is like a tutor because it shows us what sin is. It trains us to realize what is sin. The things that God says, don't do those, we realize, oh, that's, that's sin. The part of the word of God that says, do this, we realize that's not. That's righteousness. And it prepares our soul for Jesus Christ. Those who have learned by experience with the law that they're not good enough, which is me and everyone in this room probably, uh, learned that we're not good enough and we can't be saved by our works. We welcome that salvation. Um, and we receive that when we receive Jesus Christ and what he did for us with his death and resurrection. So now that we have faith in Jesus Christ, we no longer need that tutor of the law. Okay, so why do we no longer need the law to be our tutor, our guide? Why do we no longer need that to be our guide? We have the Holy Spirit to be our guide. That is exactly it. And, he, and Jesus said he's going to guide you. He's going to teach you. He's going to reveal things to you. So the Holy Spirit is our guide now, not the law. Okay, so why should we know the law? Should we? Why should we know it? Reveals things about herself and our nature. Yeah, yeah, but I'm talking about once we become a follower of Christ, sh why should we know the law? Or let me say it this way, the law really is like the first part of the Old Testament where God says what he wants and doesn't want, you know? Why would we want to know that? <clears throat> the law wasn't abolished with the new covenant, but it gives us a guideline for how Gives us guidelines, right? You know, yeah. Help us to know how to 
Helps us to know what God says will please him. His expectations, yeah. It helps us know what the will of God is for us. You know what, and, and here's the thing, it's kind of... Right, we that don't want to put it above God. That is exactly right. But what we know about it, it's God says his word is kind of like him. So when we take his word, it's like him talking to us. And so when we're reading this, we know what is God's will for me? What, would, what are the things that please and honor the Lord? And those are, that's why we want to know that, because how can the Holy Spirit help us guide us and help us understand the scripture if we're not reading it? So we want to read the whole counsel of the Word of God. Um, just as a child once trained didn't drop that training in adulthood, we don't drop the instruction of the law. But our motivation is not the same, like what you're saying. We're not putting that above God, saying, if I honor this checklist and do everything on here, hey, I'm golden. No. What we're saying is, I honor God. I, through Jesus Christ, I have faith in him. And I come to God, I know God through Jesus Christ. I have that relationship with God. And I read the word of God and honor Jesus Christ, God the Father, by doing the things that are in the word of God. The law alone, though, just as Paul is saying, he's saying this is external. This is a thing that, um, a list to live by, a checklist. And when we're following Jesus Christ and are filled with the Holy Spirit, we don't need that to be our motivation because the Holy Spirit is going to guide us and show us the things to do. Have you ever been somewhere where you just felt like within you, don't do that? That's the Holy Spirit helping us to live a life that honors God. And this was always God's plan for us because in Jeremiah 4, 4, he says, circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Circumcise your hearts, you people of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. And the reason he's telling him that is that that means the law is all this external stuff. I can be living that list and doing a really good job of impressing other people of how well I'm following it, but my heart can be totally bad. And what, he's, what God is saying here in Jeremiah is it's got to be that you are... Uh, cutting off the things of self, so to speak, removing the things of self from your life and from your heart and having your heart be obedient to the Lord and wanting to serve and honor him as you have come to the Lord by faith in Jesus Christ. It means our hearts are submitted to him, not just our flesh, you know, the body, the, the part of the works. The Holy Spirit is the promise of eternal life, too. And so... He, it is a, a, like a deposit of what is to come. In 2 Corinthians 1.22, it says that God set his seal of ownership in us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. So that Holy Spirit within us, it's a deposit of what God has for us, that promise, that blessing, that inheritance that uh, God's word speaks about. The Holy Spirit's like a deposit within us. When we receive Jesus Christ, we receive that baptism of the Holy Spirit leading us on to what God has for us. So then in Galatians 2, 19 and 21, uh, last week we are in Galatians 2, Paul says, For through the law I died to the law that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, 
Christ died for nothing. That, that's very true. So then as we look at all this, this, this whole thing in chapter 3, uh, he's saying he lives his life through, uh, by faith in the Son of God. So how do we do that? How do we live equipped for faith? And the first thing is we have to live by faith in Jesus, not in how well we can live our life, not any of that, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Paul says in that ver those verses I just read that he's crucified with Christ. And what he means by that is he crucified that old self, that part of him before he came to Jesus Christ, along with Jesus' death on the cross. In his mind, he's saying, I've taken myself and I see myself, my old self is crucified with Jesus Christ. When Christ died on the cross, he had on him, Jesus did all the sins of the world, including our old sinful selves. And Paul is saying, that's passed away, my old self, my old sinful self passed away because now I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. How I'm living my life is the power of Jesus Christ in my life. And that's what he's saying. That's how he's living a righteous life. The life I now live in the body, Paul says. And now he's still alive. He didn't say I died, really died. He's saying the old self, the old behaviors, the old way of doing things, the way of speaking, the way of my attitudes, all of that died, that Christ removed that from me, and I'm not alive to that old stuff. Instead, I'm living by faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And this is for us, too. We need to die to the old self, to those old ways, sinful ways, and put that on the cross with Jesus Christ and allow him and his power to work in us and, and Christ to live through us. Jesus paid a price we couldn't pay for our sin. He loved us, and isn't that amazing that God would love us so much that he would send his son, Jesus, to die for us. Jesus loved us and died for us and gave himself for us. Our faith is not by works. It's not by living great lives, and we can't earn it. We can't live up to it. Only faith in Jesus Christ will save us. And that gives us that relationship with Jesus Christ, with the promises, with the covenant with him through Jesus, with the blessings. Because on our own, the word of God tells us, the Bible tells us in Isaiah 64, 6, all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like the leaf and the wind, and like the wind our sins sweep us away. That's a pretty sorry state to be in, but that's how we are before God without Jesus. So when we accept what he's done for us, then our righteousness is not our own, but the righteousness of Jesus Christ is, is on us, in us. That enables us to be able to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to live our lives, to be people of faith. The second thing, not just live by faith in Jesus, but the second thing, be equipped by the Holy Spirit. Like we said, we, we can't live in our own strength and think we're going to be any different than we were before. We have faith in Jesus Christ. We've come to him. Now to move on, we need that power of the Holy Spirit in our life. We have to receive that and, uh, and have that power in our life. If we want to follow the commands of Jesus Christ and follow what the Bible says, we have to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, Think about this. Think about somebody out in the woods, lumberjacks, for example, out there, you know, tr 
sawing down trees. Well, what if you were there and you saw this guy and he's got a chainsaw and it's not turned on and he's trying on his own strength to chop down the tree with the chainsaw? You'd be like, dude, turn the chainsaw on. <laughs> like, why are you working so hard when it could be so much better? And so uh, that's kind of like when we have power in our lives from the Holy Spirit, it's like turning the power on. We have the ability to do the things that God has asked us to do. And we have the ability to follow Jesus Christ in all he's commanded us. And I'll tell you why we need that. Matthew 5, 27 to 28, Jesus is talking to these people. He said, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. He's quoting the law to him. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Whoa, that's pretty steep, right? He's saying not only don't do it, but don't even like desire to do it. Okay, well, Jesus is therefore saying this isn't just about external behavior. This is about the desires of your heart. The only way we can have internal changes, the desires of our heart to be honoring God, is with the power of the Holy Spirit. Because when we have the Holy Spirit within us and we are surrendered to God to do what he wants to through us and empower us by the Holy Spirit, he's going to take those desires and change them to be in line with what God's word says. He's going to change those desires to be in line with what he's been speaking to us. We should be changed on the inside. And remember, a few weeks ago, Josiah spoke about our minds needing to be renewed. Well, that doesn't just happen with me thinking good thoughts. That happens with the Holy Spirit working in me, with me surrendering my life to Jesus Christ. And uh, I, that I want to honor and glorify God in all that I do. We have to depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. And then the third thing we need to do if we're going to really live our faith out and be equipped with faith is to live clothed with Christ. The end of this chapter 3, starting in verse 26, says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. When these New Testament believers in Jesus Christ, uh, this group of people in Galatia and other churches, when they, were, uh, when they would believe in Jesus, when they would become his followers, and they were baptized, uh, they were immersed in water, and they were given new clothes to put on when they came out of that time of baptism and they put on new clothes and that was a picture or a symbol to them of putting on the character of Jesus Christ and all barriers of their past here you know it says Jew or Gentile slave free male female these are all areas where there was discrimination where there were people who were looked at as less than and he's saying that there's none of that we're all one in Jesus Christ. Your heritage, your status, your gender, your past, whatever, none of that matters here in the body of Christ. We're all one in Jesus. We all come on equal footing before the cross. If we're going to say that the law 
and live in righteousness on our own doesn't account for anything, then who we are before Christ doesn't matter. What, how much money we have, where we live, what our parents were like, what our families like, none of that matters in church. We all are equal before the Lord God. We all come before him at the foot of the cross, trusting not in anything about us except that we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and surrendered our lives to him. We all become one in him. For us to clothe ourselves as Jesus means we need to live like we believe that, right? We need to live and say, what would Jesus do? Uh, in 1896, you, you might be surprised to find that, that what would Jesus do? That started back in 1896. Uh, Reverend Charles Sheldon wrote a book, In His Steps. And it was popular, pop, a popular book, and it popularized the phrase, what would Jesus do? Which meant that we want to follow Jesus' example. We want to clothe ourselves with Jesus Christ and be like him. We have all sorts of things we do every day. We have interactions with people. Uh, working at our jobs, seeing right and wrong responses that we have to make and making decisions. Uh, we can live like Jesus and be dependent on the Holy Spirit and desire to do what he would ask us to do. That's the thing we want to be doing. Live by faith in Jesus, be equipped by the Holy Spirit, and live clothed with Christ. Would you stand with me as we close? So I just ask you just to uh, bow your head. We've talked today about how to live strong in our faith. And we've said we've got to be equipped by that Holy Spirit, by God's Holy Spirit. If you have not been filled with the Holy Spirit and you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, would you just raise your hand? Okay, thank you. If you've not been living your life as Jesus would, you realize, you know what, I, I guess I haven't been considering that. And you want to be clothed with Christ. You want to live as Jesus would. And you want to put on the character of Jesus Christ in all that you do. Would you just raise your hand? Thank you. Lord God, we just thank you that today this word is so clear. That it's not by anything we do before or after we become followers of Christ that we earn anything. Lord, everything's such a gift to us. The gift of your son coming to die for us and be raised from the dead so that we can have salvation through him by faith in him. Lord God, we thank you for the fact that we can live our lives by faith in Jesus Christ. We don't have to trust ourselves and our good works or any of that, Lord God. Thank you, Lord, that we can trust in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and receive that righteousness from him. Lord God, I thank you that we can be equipped by the Holy Spirit. You didn't just give us a chainsaw with no power. You gave us a life following Jesus Christ, and you gave us the power to do it when we accept that gift of the Holy Spirit, when we receive that baptism of the Holy Spirit. Lord God, I pray right now that you would just fill us up to overflowing with the Holy Spirit's power from the top of our head to the soles of our feet. Give us wisdom. Give us guidance. Give us, Lord, uh, understanding of your word. Father, I pray that we would listen to what the Holy Spirit tells us each day. Lord, that our lives would be changed, that the old life would be crucified with Christ, but 
he would live through us, the power of God lived through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, that we would clothe ourselves daily with Christ, that we would want to put on that character of Jesus. Lord, that our desires would be changed, that our heart would no longer be like it was before we came to Christ, that our desire would be to serve you, Lord God, and honor you in all that we do. We thank you, Father, for the provision you've made for us, Lord, for the blessings. Lord, for the inheritance we have, as the word of God tells us. Lord, for the fact that someday, uh, prophetically, as we speak about that with a, with a communion, that someday we'll be with you in eternity. And Lord, we just thank you for that, that when we trust in Jesus Christ, that you give us so much. We just thank you, Father, for all you're going to do in our hearts and lives. Lord, that you would uh, just... Give us the ability this week to see things as you see them. Lord, help us to read your word with fresh enthusiasm. And Lord, that you would just, you say it's like spiritual food for our, our spirits. Lord, that you would just fill our souls and our spirits with what we read in that word of God. Lord, that you would just help us to grow in our faith and our walk with you. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. To him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be blessing, and honor, and glory, and might, forever, and ever. Amen.